Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you have ever heard of a gentleman by the name of Larry Walters? Some of you, um, especially if you um, lived back during the um, 80s, you may remember this gentleman. But Larry Walters had a boyhood dream of flying. When he graduated from high school, he joined the Air Force, and he wanted to be a pilot. Unfortunately, because he had bad eyesight, he was unable to fulfill that dream. And so later on, after he retired from the Air Force, one day he had a genius of an idea. Okay, and this man was an absolute genius. After I share this story with you, if you don't remember, you're going to be in agreement of that. So, so um, Larry went down to the local Army-Navy um, supply store, and he purchased um, about 40 um, large weather balloons and several tanks of helium. And he went back to his house, and he got him a, um, a lawn chair, and he tied those balloons up to the lawn chair, He tied a rope to the front of the bumper of his Jeep, and he pulled out those helium tanks, and he began to blow up those helium balloons. And um, once he realized that, that the chair would actually float with him in it, he cut the string, and he began to take off. Now, he thought that he would get up about 30 feet above his house and spend several hours there and then come straight down. He did take a pellet gun with him to use to, to pop the balloons whenever he was ready to begin his downward descent. Well, when he cut that rope, he didn't just gradually float up to about 30 feet. Um, he shot out like a cannon shot up in the air. He didn't go up 30 feet. He didn't go up 100 feet. He ended up at about 11,000 feet. Okay, I don't remember Larry Walters, okay? Some of you might. Apparently, he made the talk show rounds and all this. I snooped, you know, it this week to see if it's really a real story. And from what I've been able to tell, it is an actual real story. Well, Larry got up about 11,000 feet, and, and obviously, he was cold, and he was panicky, but he really started panicking whenever his hot air balloon began to, well, hot air balloon, but his his loaded balloon began to float into the Los Angeles um, airport's airspace. Okay, that's whenever things began to get a little bit dicey. Well, there was actually a Delta pilot that radioed the, the tower and said, you're not going to believe this, but there is a man up here with a, in a lawn chair with a BB gun in his hand. And so um, what he eventually did is he realized that he had to make some major decisions, so he did begin to shoot out those balloons, and he gradually floated back down to earth. He tried to land on a big open field and missed the big open field and ended up getting tangled up in, the, in, the, in some electrical wires. Luckily, there was some plastic tethering there that prevented him from being electrocuted. And so after a couple hours, he finally, the firemen and the utility crew were able to get him down off of that, um, out of that entanglement that he was in. And it was said that he later quoted this, a guy can't just sit around. You know, I think that that is so profound. A guy cannot just sit around. And knowing the genius that he was, we need to take those words to heart. Folks, that is true. We cannot just sit around as Christians, nor can we live our life at 11,000 feet in the air, looking down and watching the earth go by. Every single one of us in this room are a part of God's eternal story. Every single one of us in this room, we have an important role to play within God's kingdom.
And we need to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We need to be the men, women, suit, and children that God has set apart for the work that is to be done, just as Paul shared with us. My prayer is that every single one of us in this room will be a part of the battle that is going on outside of the doors of this church for the heart of men, women, students, and children. This morning, we're going to be looking at the greatest question that has ever been asked of man. And just as this question was asked by Jesus some 2,000 years ago and demanded an answer then, so does it demand an answer from every single one of us in this room. Jesus turned to his disciples and he asked them this question, who do people say that I am? And then he said, who do you say that I am? If you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to continue walking through Matthew 16 together this morning. But Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. This is what we read. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So our message point this morning is very simple. It is this, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Is he just another man that lived in history's past? Or is he indeed the son of the living God that has transformed your mind and transformed your heart and transformed your life? Who is Jesus to you. Notice our first point this morning is this, the ultimate question asked by Jesus. Before we dive into this question, it's actually important for us to have an idea of the setting in which this question was asked. We read in verse 13, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, um, just to give you an idea of where Caesarea Philippi is. Let me read this to you. The city of Caesarea Philippi was originally named Panius after the Greek god Pan, who according to pagan mythology was born in a nearby cave. Caesar Augustus had given the region to Herod the Great, who built a temple in honor of the emperor. Herod's son, Philip the Tetrarch, inherited the land and greatly enlarged the city and renamed it after Caesar. He also added the name Philippi to distinguish this Caesarea from the other Caesarea, which was located on the Mediterranean Sea. Caesarea Philippi was one of the most immoral places in all of Israel. You know, I've had the opportunity to go to Caesarea Philippi a couple of different times. And it is absolutely one of the most beautiful places in all of Israel. It sits on a, there's a plateau there where you have the headwaters of the Jordan River. A couple of miles from Caesarea Philippi is actually Mount Hermon. It's a snow-capped mountain that actually has a ski resort that is open a couple of times over the course of the year when the snow comes that sits about 9200 feet above sea level. 
The re- this region of Israel is absolutely stunning. Today, this part of Israel is really an archaeological marvel. But during the days of Jesus, it was anything but a place of, 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 of tourism. It was a place of, of debauchery. It was a place of evilness. It was a place in which the worship of God and some of the most vilest things that you can imagine actually happened there. It would be on this site with temples in the background and idol worship galore going on that Jesus would ask his disciples this important question. That question, once again, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Jesus knew what other people were saying about him. But what Jesus wanted his disciples to be aware of is what other people were saying about him. It is important that you and I have a clear understanding of what those outside the doors of this church are saying about Jesus. Why is that? Because most people in this world are uninformed, aren't they? They follow after the gods of this world. They don't follow the one true God. And so if they have an uninformed um, idea of who Jesus is, it's our responsibility to share with them and help inform them and point them toward Jesus Christ so that they can have an informed understanding. So notice here the perception. The disciples said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Each of these men mentioned in Jewish history, held great significance. The first one that they mention here is John the Baptist. We know of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the, was the first person to speak on behalf of God in some, over, some 400 years. For 400 years from the closing pages of the Old Testament to the opening pages of the New Testament to the time that John the Baptist came, the time that Jesus came, there was absolutely no interaction between God and the people of Israel. There was silence. So John the Baptist would be the first person that would be God's mouthpiece again. Jesus said of John the Baptist that he was the greatest man ever born of a woman. With his arrival would be the return of God's voice amongst the people. So some people were saying that Jesus was indeed John the Baptist. Even King Herod believed that Jesus was John the Baptist who had come back from the dead, who had been resurrected, basically. Matthew 14, 1 through 2, we read this. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. Herod would certainly have feared Jesus if he was indeed John the Baptist resurrected. Why is that? Because you remember back when we looked at Herod and looked at the death of John the Baptist, what happened to John the Baptist? John the Baptist was, was murdered, his head was cut off, and it was delivered to his stepdaughter on a platter. Okay? So if anyone would have feared John the Baptist coming back from the dead, it would have been Herod, because, because certainly if he was able to come back from the dead, then he would come after Herod as well. So, so some said he was John the Baptist. Others said he was Elijah. Elijah was considered to be, um, by most Jew, Jews, to be the supreme Old Testament prophet. In Malachi 4, we read that one like Elijah would come before Christ comes. In Malachi 4, 5, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day 
of the Lord comes. Obviously, this passage has already been fulfilled because John the Baptist is the one like Elijah. Others thought that Jesus was Jeremiah. Why would they have thought that he could have been Jeremiah? Because Jeremiah was known to speak boldly, but he also mourned greatly over the hardness of the hearts of the people. Jesus was a great teacher. He was also a man of compassion. That's why people would have mistaken possibly Jesus as Jeremiah. And so others, the disciples said that he was just one of the prophets. They did not know who he was, but they knew he was extraordinary. Here is the reality. Everyone has an idea about Jesus. Some know him, as I pray everyone in this room know him, as indeed he is the Son of God. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. Because you have placed your faith, trust in Him, you can make that declaration this morning. The reality is there are many, many, many people outside the doors of this church that have never made that declaration. There are over a billion people in China that have never made that declaration. There are billions of people on the face of this earth that have never made that declaration. That is why it is important for us to have an idea of what other people think of Jesus so that when we encounter them, we're able to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. Notice our second point this morning. It is this, the declaration made by Peter. Jesus will ask the question again differently this time, but he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The disciples have told Jesus who the crowds say that he was, but now he wants to know what his disciples think of him. You know, I can just picture this scene. I can picture Jesus, the disciples being gathered around him, and Jesus looking at them and saying, who do you say that I am? You know, I can picture this. I really can being like one of our Sunday school classes. You have the teacher up in front of the class, and then you have the, 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 the pupil, pupils that are there. The question is asked, and you begin to process, okay, now is Jesus looking for the Sunday school answer here, or is he looking for a different answer? Can't you picture that a little bit here? I mean, I just see that kind of going on in all these disciples' minds. There's 12 men that are gathered around Jesus, but only one man, though, will boldly and courageously proclaim who Jesus is. And that was Peter. And what did Peter do? Peter proclaimed, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Every single one of us in this room must make that declaration just like Peter did. Peter said that Jesus is the Christ. Peter made it clear to Jesus that he fully understood who he he was. And that was a significant proclamation because we know about Peter. Peter had lapses of judgment in the past, right? And we know that Peter was going to even have more lapses in judgment in the future. But yet he boldly proclaimed that Jesus indeed was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Have you made that declaration, my friends? Do you know that Jesus is the Christ? That he is the son of God. That he and only he can forgive you of your sins and give you access into the kingdom of heaven. Do you know this? If you do not know this, what is keeping you this morning from making that declaration? Peter would also make the declaration that Jesus is the son of the living God. Peter understood that Jesus was God in the flesh, gracing 
them with his very presence. Folks, people's eternity hinges on how they answer this question. Their eternity hinges upon that. If they proclaim Jesus as Savior and Lord of their lives and they become followers of his, what awaits them? Eternal life. If they choose not to believe and they reject Jesus, what awaits them? Eternal death. That question is important. It was important when Jesus asked it, and it is just as important today. Let's look at our final point this morning. We're going to spend a little bit more time camped in this, um, within this section. The pronouncement given by Jesus. Notice the pronouncement given by Jesus. So this morning, with the final point, we're going to see Jesus for the very first time mention the word church or ecclesia. It is mentioned in verse 18. We know the church to be a community of people that know Jesus personally. The church is bigger than Friendship Baptist Church. The church is bigger than the Southern Baptist Convention. The church is bigger than any one denomination. The church is made up of everyone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ and have become disciples of his. And it will be because of the declaration that Peter makes that Jesus will make his pronouncement to him. The first thing that we see here is Jesus pronounce a blessing upon Peter. In verse 17 we read, And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In John chapter 1, we're first introduced to Peter. Okay, And we read of Peter these words. It says in John 1, 40-42, One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. His first, he first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So Peter is given a new name by Jesus at the time in which Peter is called. Before that, he was known as Simon, the son of John, Simon bar Jonah. Within our focal passage this morning, Jesus refers to Peter, not by his spiritually given name, but it refers to him as his biological given name, as the, by the name that his mama and daddy gave him once he was born. Why is this? Because it's important for us to understand at this point what Jesus is making clear to Peter is, and to the other disciples, he is making clear Peter's humanity. Okay, Peter is human, just like every single other person that's in this room, just like all the other disciples were. That he was born of flesh and blood and has a natural father and, and mother. So the revelation given to him is not from men. It's not because of the testimony of men either. Peter is blessed not because of the words he spoke on his own. No, Peter is blessed by Jesus because of the revelation given to him by God the Father. Peter did not come to know Jesus to be the Son of God on his own. He came to know Jesus to be the Son of God because God the Father revealed it to him. Here is reality. It is only by grace 
that, that the grace given us by the Father that you and I are able to enter into an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not because of our minds. It's not because of anything that we do. It is by grace that we are saved. Jesus said in John 6, 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. One commentator wrote this, In and of ourselves, we are blind, just like the Pharisees and Sadducees. We love the darkness. But God, in his mercy, has opened our eyes to see Jesus, to know who he is, to believe in him, and to confess him as the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is the testimony of every Christian. Peter was blessed by the revelation given to him by God. Okay, Just like every single one of us in this room are blessed by the revelation given to us by God, when we read God's Word, we receive the revelation that has been given to us by God. Okay, Here is the reality, though. Some people go through life just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders. They hear the truth and they perceive the truth, but that truth doesn't go anywhere further than right here. Okay? What happened with Peter is this. He experienced God's revelation, and it was transformative. It went from his head into his heart. And Peter was able to boldly proclaim that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. Some of you in this room, you may have a head knowledge about who God is, have a head knowledge about who Jesus is. You've grown up in the church. Man, you've, you've been a part of Sunday school all your life. You've been a part of worship services all your life. And you know the truth because it's here, but it hasn't been transformative in your life because you have never truly received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. In fact, this morning, um, a member of this church came up to me and shared with me of someone that they know that came to faith older in life, grew up in the church, went to church pretty much every Sunday, And here recently, they made a public profession of faith. Why? Because Jesus went beyond their head into their heart, and their lives were forever transformed. Some of you may have a head knowledge, but it hasn't gone anywhere further than that. Jesus transforms lives. God's Word transforms lives. Has your life been transformed this morning? Notice our next point. Okay, our subpoint. It's this the establishment of the church. In verse 18, we read, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This verse right here has been heavily debated over the course of church history. And that is why it is so important for us to understand exactly what this verse right here is talking about. Being that this is the first time Jesus uttered the word church, it's important for us to understand what it is that Jesus was talking about. Roman Catholics have said that Jesus is describing Peter as the rock and thus establishing that it was upon Peter that the literal church was built. They claim that Peter is the foundation of the church. In fact, in in the Exalting Christ commentary, they point out this, the writer does. The Catholic Church teaches, the Lord made Simon alone, whom he named Peter. 
the rock of the church. He gave him the keys of his church and instituted him shepherd of the whole flock. The office of binding and loosing which was given to Peter was also assigned to the college of apostles united to his head. The pastoral office of Peter and the other apostles belongs to the church's very foundation is continued by the bishops under the primacy of the Pope. This writer went on to say, Catholicism claims that Peter was given a special authority that is now passed down to a succession of church leaders, specifically bishops under the primacy of the Pope. While this text absolutely acknowledges Peter as being instrumental um, within his role and his confession, and, and even playing a role within the foundation of the church, we must disagree here with the Catholic Church's teaching. This text is not about a supreme pope. It is about a sovereign Savior. Jesus said, I will build my church. Jesus is the architect of the church. Jesus is the foundation of the church. Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. And Jesus is the head and the leader and the groom of the church. Jesus is the rock that this passage of Scripture is talking about. You may say, well, I, I, I kind of understand why there would be this confusion. Because does this passage not say that Jesus is the rock? Well, here's what you and I need to understand. We need to understand, in order to understand this passage of Scripture, we really need to look back at what does the original language say here. What does the Greek, the spoken language of the day, say in this passage of Scripture? And here it is. Okay, in the Greek, the name Peter is Petros. Okay, P-E-T-R-O-S. A masculine form of the Greek word for small stones or little pebbles. The word Jesus used to describe rock in this passage is actually Petra. P-E-T-R-A, like the great Christian rock group Petra, all right? Which refers to a rocky mountain or a peak. It was not upon the little pebble that the church was built, but upon a mountain of rocks that the church was built. Jesus is the foundation of the church. It's not man. And I know that even some of you in this room grew up in a Catholic background, okay? God's Word is clear that Jesus is the foundation of the church. Peter, yes, and we're going to look at this in just a second, was instrumental and was able to see a lot of great things happen within the early church, okay? But the church was not built upon Peter. The church is built upon Jesus. This church is not built on man. This church is built upon Jesus. He is the foundation. He is our rock. Notice the, the, our final sub-point this morning. It is this, the mission of the church. Let's look at the mission of the church. In verse 19, we read, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Next, we see that Jesus tells Peter that he would be the carrier of the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is another verse that has created great, um, great um, debate within the church. David Guzik writes this. He says, the idea of Peter holding the keys of the kingdom of heaven has captured the imagination of many Christians throughout the century. 
In artistic representation, Peter is almost always shown to be carrying keys. Some people think this means that Peter has the authority to admit people to heaven or to keep people out of heaven. Kind of the picture of Jesus standing outside of the pearly gates, admitting people in or not admitting people in. Some people think... um, that 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 Peter had a special role within people's access into heaven. Indeed, the papal insignia of the Roman Catholic Church is made up of two prominent keys crossed together. There is no doubt that Peter had a special place among all the disciples, and that he had some special privileges. He's always listed first. Okay, and what did Peter do? Peter opened the floodgates to the Jews whenever he stood um, and proclaimed the greatest sermon ever preached in Acts chapter 2. On that day, 3,000 people came to know Jesus Christ. So we see that he opened the doors of the kingdom to the Jews in Acts 2. He opened the doors of the kingdom to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. Peter was given great privileges because of the declaration that we read about this morning. He was set apart amongst all of the other disciples to be their leader. In Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, whenever the Holy Spirit fell upon those that were in the upper room, they hit the streets about 9 o'clock in the morning. You remember what other people were saying about about Peter and the rest of the disciples that morning? They were saying that they were either demon-possessed or they were drunk. Peter stood up and said, hey, we're not either of those two things, but we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And as a result of preaching that sermon... Over 3,000 people came to know Jesus Christ. In the early days of that New Testament church, that first church, over 5,000 people came to know Jesus Christ. Peter played a significant role within that first church. Okay, But the church was not built upon Peter. Church is not built upon a man. This church is not built upon me as your pastor or any other pastor that has come before me. Okay, this church is built upon Jesus Christ. He is our foundation. That is why it is so important for us to go to God's Word to find the truth of His Word and not um, just believe the things that have been taught to us. Okay? The reason there's a lot of false information that people believe is because they've taken man at His Word as opposed to going to God's Word to find the truth of His Word. Jesus is our foundation, and it is upon Jesus that this church is built and upon the foundation of Jesus that you and I will be able to charge the gates of hell with the truth of the Word of God. Every single one of us have been given the privilege to play a special role within the church. The role was not just designated to men that lived 2,000 years ago. You and I, every single one of us, play a role in God's eternal story. Every single one of us have been given the opportunity to make disciples, to equip people, to take God's Word and invest it into other people. That is not just a great suggestion that we read about in Matthew chapter 28. It is a command that all of us have been given to make disciples, to invest in other people. Peter took that truth that God had revealed to him and the rest of the disciples, and he put that into action. We must do the very same thing this morning. We must take God's Word and apply it daily to our lives and invest God's Word in other people. The pronouncement that Jesus made to Peter is a subsequent pronouncement that he has made to us this morning. You and I hold a special place within the church's history. 
Let's be men and women that don't just sit around. Let's be men and women that don't just live life at at 11,000 or 30,000 feet in the air looking down as everything goes by. But let's be a part of God's eternal story and play a significant role within it. Let me ask you again the question that Jesus posed to his disciples. Who do you say he is? Who is Jesus to you? Is he your Savior? Is he your Lord? Have you been transformed by him? If this morning you can't answer that question, then I'm going to be standing here at the front in just a moment. And I would love to share with you more about how you can enter into an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. You may be here this morning, you've been visiting this church for a while, and today is the day that the Lord is leading you and your family to be a part of this faith family. I don't know what decision that you need to make, but I do know there is one decision that all of us must make, and that decision is this. Who is Jesus to you? Is he Lord and Savior, or is he just another man that's lived in history's past? If you say that he's just another man that lived in history's past, then here's the reality. One day... It may not be on this side of eternity, but it will be on the other side of eternity that you will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. Don't wait until it's too late. Acknowledge Jesus this morning as being the Lord and Savior of your life. Let's stand together. And this morning, if there's a decision you need to make, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Father, thank you for the privilege it is just to be in your house. Father, I know that this morning's message is, is one that has required us to go a little bit deeper than we might normally go. But Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the truth of your word. I thank you, Father, for helping us um, if there are some misconceptions out there, some misinformation out there that we have been taught. Lord, allowing us to go to your word and to identify exactly what your word says. Father, it is upon you that the church is built. You are the rock of the church. And Father, we want to build our lives upon you, not upon man, not upon anyone or anything else, but upon you. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you will help us do that. We pray that you will help us to grow in your grace and knowledge every single day. And Father, I pray right now that if there is someone in this room that have yet to receive you as their Lord and Savior, that today they'll make the greatest decision that they could ever make. I pray that today will be the day that, that, that they don't have just a head knowledge of you, but today is the day that they are radically transformed by you because today is the day that they have placed their faith and trust in you and received your grace. Father, salvation is free. All we have to do is just open up our heart and receive it. And Father, I pray that there's someone here this morning that needs to do that very thing that they will. And Lord, I know that, Father, there's some that's been visiting this church for a while, and today may be the day that you lead them to become a part of this faith family. And if that be the case, Lord, we pray that you'll move now during this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.